Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming re-recording mixer and supervising sound editor Alexandra Furman onto the podcast, who's recently worked as the re-recording mixer for Incredible Films Coda and Everything Everywhere All at Once. And you'll know if you've seen that last one, it has a way of staying with you. It's that insane in a good way. Um, So we're really excited to welcome you on today. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm really good. And thanks so much for joining and taking the time. I know you're uh, you're probably very busy. Um, you were saying the other day well, you're going to Ecuador soon, which is amazing. Very last minute trip, is it? Or is this a work thing? Oh, it's very last minute. I happen to have a couple of days off in between. We just fi- uh, finished a temp mix on a, the film I'm working on. And we're starting our finals next week. And I was offered this very last minute trip with my partner. Uh, it's like a four day excursion to Galapagos Island. Wow. How incredible. Yeah. I'm very jealous. Um, I hope you have an amazing time. Um, enjoy Thank your time you. off. Do you work quite intensely then? I'm guessing you love any chance to grab uh, days off. We're kind of conditioned, aren't we, to be busy, busy, busy workaholics. Um, but it's uh, important to remember what is important sometimes, I suppose, isn't it? What are you working for? To enjoy yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I've been I've been having a little bit of time um, to think about that. Obviously, we all had a little bit of extra time during the pandemic. And even though I worked through most of it, I it was a little bit less intense as usual. Before the pandemic, I was working seven days a week easily, uh, you know, maybe half of the year. And the pandemic slowed us down in a way that I thought was really healthy because I got to see what it felt like to kind of like live in my life that I had been absent from. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'll be trying to find that balance for a a long time. Okay, well, I hope you have the best time. It sounds like you've definitely um, earned it. So before we get into some of your more recent projects, I'd love to know a bit about maybe your childhood or just the way you've been brought up with music and, you know, audio and that world when your interests first started. So what, um, for instance, what music were you into when you were a kid, when you were growing up? You know, what was the first music you bought with your own money? So I was really into music even as a very young kid. I probably shouldn't admit this, um, but I, my uncle, my mom and I lived with my uncle until I was five and he had, um, Madonna's, uh, laser disc of all the music videos from, um, her two, I think it was two albums as Immaculate Collection and another, and I loved them. I danced to them every day, uh, which is probably not great for a five-year-old. Well, um, (laughs) let's just hope you're appreciating the, the music maybe rather than the visuals. Yes, I had no idea what was happening. Um, <laughs> but the the first music I bought with my own money was actually, I got really into punk rock when I was uh, a, te- a young teenager. Like it started in sixth grade. I was a figure skater and the ice arena was down the street from a place called Music Trader, which was a used music trading hub. Um, and so I would walk up there when they were cleaning the ice and talk to the people who worked there. And I fell in love with both record stores and music, um, and talking to these people that were very passionate about music. And, um, I got into like, I probably bought the clash first and then, um, by recommendation, I kept trying other bands, uh, 
around that era and then branched out into you know like the damned and other other bands like that and I was very into punk like pretty much my whole teenage experience nice okay then so what about um it's a bit of a different segue because it's more career-based obviously but when did you first become interested in the sound editing world what inspired you to take an interest were you really into that side of things when maybe perhaps watching films or something and did you notice that or was this more of an educational path when you were pursuing you know academic possibilities I I actually got into mixing shortly thereafter after my discovery of music I um, when I was 15 I was taking guitar lessons and I we were using using a practice space that was attached to a recording studio. And I had never been in the recording studio. We just met in the practice hallway and uh, for several weeks. And I reached a plateau with my guitar playing. I wasn't a natural guitar player, I'll say. And I was, I remember feeling a little frustrated and I wandered into the studio portion. The, um, the control room was open. They were not recording any bands that day. And they were working on, uh, you know, switching out their patch bay. So I offered to help and uh, I started working there and I uh, continued to work there until I moved to LA and I fell in love uh, pretty obsessively, actually. I, it was all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I actually graduated high school early by way of taking college credits while I was in high school. And when it was time for me to think about a major I realized that there wasn't anything really specifically about sound engineering um, at, at any of the schools that were accessible to me, but I did learn about a musician's institute. It's a school in LA and I decided to go there and I told the owner of the studio that I was working at, that I was going to school to learn recording engineering. And he got very upset with me and said, I don't know why you'd go to a school for that, you have everything you need here. Uh, <laughs> you just need more experience. Um, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Uh, Look at you now. But, but I, I specifically wanted to learn Pro Tools because that that studio was a hundred percent analog. So um, I had heard about Pro Tools and I wanted to learn how to use it. So that school offered some um, training in Pro Tools and also analog gear. So. It was stuff I was familiar with and then a lot of new stuff. And I took a musicianship class there, which was helpful because I had only had the experience as, you know, a couple of months of guitar lessons. And um, yeah, I was uh, 17 when I moved to LA. And then ironically, I ended up going back to work at that same recording studio after school and uh, he bought a Pro Tools rig. (laughs) (laughs) Really? How funny. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I told you I was onto something. <laughs> yes. This is the way you'll see. Okay. Amazing. Given the, uh, you know, all of your credits that are to your name now, what do you think um, that people might be surprised about your work as a re-recording mixer and a supervising sound editor? Is there anything people get wrong about it or that you say, actually, it's a bit more like this? Maybe not as, uh, I'm sure it is as fun as it looks. I can't believe that if you tell me it's not. But is there anything surprising people would um, want to know, do you think? Um, I think it, it really is as fun as it looks. And I think that it's it's such a detail-oriented job that um, that you have to really love it in order to in order to do it. So I think that that's, I think that that's why a lot of my colleagues and 
I work around a lot of, you know, other talented uh, people who are really inspiring because we all, uh, we have to, we, we're bathing in it. And um, I think a surprising thing that I tell people is that um, I really enjoy time in nature because I feel like it's such a juxtaposition to what, what what environment we're in in the studio. And I also think it's super important to bring those elements, those organic elements into mixing, into making the sounds and the environments that we make. Um, so I think that it doesn't, it doesn't really necessarily, it's not a thing that's usually coupled up is, you know, mixing and, mm. and travel, yeah. <laughs> but I think that, I think that they help each other. Well, I suppose anyone that spends a lot of time literally working with technology, staring at screens can really appreciate that time in nature as well. We spend so much of our days, don't we, staring at various different screens, different sizes. So it's nice to get that break, even just for your eyes to look at, you know, trees or the sea or something, not through a screen for once. Absolutely. Just the shape of things in nature is so different from the shape of things we look at in the digital world. So it's, uh, I think it's important for our eyes to just see those things and imprint them into our minds. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely right and um I was looking at your IMDB early and your credits go back to so it's 2008 but I would love to talk to you about two of um I would say they're the best films I've seen recently so Coda and Everything Ever All at Once I absolutely loved both of these so much anyone listening who has not seen these just stop listening immediately go and watch it and come back we'll wait for you um so <laughs> let's start with Coda so this must have been so interesting for you to tackle as obviously it's dealing with the perspective of deaf people and those around them. So what were your initial thoughts when you heard the concept or sort of it were brought into this project and how you might approach it? Well, so with Coda, so a lot of times with films, I get to read the script ahead of time. Um, with this film, I didn't. I got brought on later. I was really fortunate Um because the director wanted to work uh, in Los Angeles and uh, originally they were set to post in uh, Canada. So they had already started the sound design work up there and they had already done some work. So when I did watch the film for the first time, it had already had a lot of sound design in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I watched it and I, called Sean the director and gave her my ideas about which things we could really highlight um because yes it's such an interesting experience um to have one person who is hearing and the rest of the family who is not and what things should be realistic and what sh- things should be subjective and so um i would say the entire film was built out as as a hearing person's perspective until we chose moments on the stage when we got to the mix of, of when to sort of dive into the perspective of the non-hearing characters. And, um, but I was really interested in adding the opening sequence. Um, There were waves and um, waves are something that, that really set a tone. It's like an invisible tone Mm -hmm. where waves can either sound really ominous and scary, or they can sound really calm and beautiful. And I really wanted that opening scene to sound um, like a good experience, like a happy place, because she, that's, that's the, that's the biggest connection she had with her family Mm -hmm. was 
you know, on the, uh, on the fishing boat. Yeah, of course. Spending time with them. And, um, so that opening sequence, I, I did a lot of sound design work with, uh, with somebody who I worked with, uh, Russell Topal and it was, um, it was really important for us to then, um, when she arrives at the harbor, then it's very busy and very hectic. And so we wanted to feel that shift. Um, there was a lot of moments like that where we just wanted to help accelerate the the feelings um, through sound, just as we as we do. Um, but I was um, very conscious of, about like which sounds would be heard in both perspectives. Um, for instance, like when we go into the bar scene. And uh, the brother is, he's not hearing um, all of the speaking and stuff, but he's still aware and following and tracking the room and and what's going on in the room. Mm -hmm. So there has to be like other um, atmospheric sounds. And of course, um, there's moments where we dropped out of the sound. We didn't want to do that too many times, but we played with it around in different places in the film about when to sort of like mute out the sounds and just leave the low rumbly drones and and things like that. One example of that is when I guess I'm totally spoiling everything for anybody who hasn't seen the movie. Well, it's been out for a while. If they haven't seen it yet, why are you even listening to this? You know, spoiler alert. Yeah, it's okay. Spoil it. Okay. Okay, great. Um, So, oh, the other thing is that the boat itself, uh, Sean wanted the boat itself to be a character. So I did a lot of uh, work with with our sound designer here in LA. To um, they they had built the boat, the 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 bones of the boat in Canada, and then we started to give it sort of its own our um, arc story arc. Uh, in the beginning of the film, the boat is a little bit more healthy than at the end when the Coast Guard uh, boards the boat and ultimately finds that there was a, a problem with the boat. Mm-hmm. So uh, we wanted that to be sort of like a, you know, subconscious um, soundtrack that the boat was getting more and more sick, a little bit more rumbly, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit like a little more spurty and more uh, drony. So it got a little bit darker as the story went on. And then when we jump into um, the non-hearing characters perspectives, when the Coast Guard um, boards, we did a lot of, there was a lot of thought about like when to switch into their perspective on what look. And because we obviously don't want to lose like the, the action or like the, the um, urgency of them arriving and Mm. and boarding that boat. So it still wanted to feel scary. So we still wanted to hear like the boat hitting the other boat and the waves coming and, you know, them ripping through the water and boarding the boat and then switch into the perspective of, of the non-hearing characters thinking, you know, what is happening They they weren't aware at all about, you know, even why this was happening. So um, that was a moment that we played with the timing of quite a bit. I see. And it's interesting that you talk about the use of silence as uh, anyone that's seen it. It is used really effectively, but given that you work so closely in sound just to take the audio out of some bits, just must be strange, but it must be careful balance, like you say, of not wanting to overdo that trick, if you want to call it that, you know, or too many Mm -hmm. times. So so it loses the effect, but it's done very well in that. um, Oh, it's not an audition, is it? It's um, performance at school, I think, that she does where you just get 
the silence and them seeing everyone else reacting and you just realize just how much they're missing of um you know everything that we take for granted and of her, their own daughter's gift it was just a really wonderful moment I thought yes it's 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 um that scene in particular I have to say it was so difficult to go it was difficult for me conceptually too to go from full like you know we're in a we're in a performance we are completely surrounded by music and people uh, in the auditorium and to go from that to absolutely nothing. I have to admit, I was a little bit scared. Um, we prepared a ton of sound design that was like just low rumbles or just air or something to pad that space because it felt just so naked when you went to full silence and Sean, the director really wanted that. And, and now when I watch it, you know, as, as a viewer, I, I see how powerful that is because it's, it is uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable on purpose. Um, mm. And uh, I have to say that uh, that f- fading out of that, everything to nothing was very, is a very difficult um, thing to achieve actually, because it had to feel just right. It didn't, ha- it, you didn't want it to feel like it sucked out. You didn't want it to feel like it just gradually faded away because we're going straight into their perspective and uh, it was a really difficult, you know, um, shape of fade to find to make it so that it it didn't seem wrong, so that it felt like something was shifting perfectly in time with what we were seeing. Mm, absolutely. Um, it was really effective. I found it almost unbearable, that part. Maybe you're meant to feel that as a uh, viewer slash listener, should I say. Um, I was wondering as well, did you see um, The Sound of Metal? I did. Yeah, that is an incredibly designed film as well, I believe. Really, really and was. I was curious about your um, perspective on that, just as you've worked in something with similar subject matter, I suppose. Yeah, I when we were in his non-hearing perspective, I liked how unco- they, they did uncomfortable with, you know, with uh, with shrill, you know, uh, sound design. And and uh, it felt chaotic in his in his perspective. Um, so it was, is is a little bit of a, is a stark difference with what we, what we were, um, feeling, Mm, but yeah. It's interesting films like that, just sort of similar ish approach, like the quiet place, obviously completely different genre of film, but their use of silence, just interesting in all these different films, how effective it can be. And I always wonder about the people working in the sound departments that sort of grappling with this different approach. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. I don't mind saying as well, the ending of Coda had me sobbing. Uh, I don't uh, cry at anything really. And I was like, happy sobbing. But I was like, what's the matter with me? God, it just yes. got me at the end when she was auditioning. It was so nice, that bit. Yes, I I love that film so much because it's such a... like wholesome film and it's it's so relatable to to anybody who's who's had a dream and um I I, yeah that part makes me cry still too I think that I think they did a beautiful job with you know um all of the imagery that's behind that that scene as well and and how the parents are placed up in the in the seats watching her and it just it's very it tickles <laughs> all Absolutely. the heartstrings. It really does. And um, okay, we have to talk about 
the craziest film I've seen in ages. So everything <laughs> over all at once. I almost don't even know where to start with this one. Um, if someone's not, you know, seen it, it's hard to even describe, isn't it? It's like, I think I need to see it a few more times just to make sure I took it all in. I'm sure I didn't. It's got, you know, alternative universes, evil Jamie Lee Curtis talking rock sausage <laughs> fingers. <laughs> mother-daughter drama it's got it all um all I can say is bravo to anyone involved um but uh what were your first thoughts about this then when you were asked to sort of join this I again feel very fortunate to have joined this this amazing team um I saw the film it was as we were talking about before I was I was burnt out I was planning on taking a little time off and I was approached to mix this film and I didn't know much about it. They just said, just watch it. Uh, I was approached by the supervising sound editor and other re-recording mixer, which was Brent Kaiser. And I, you know, when I met with him, I said, yes, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to tell you my intention is I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a hiatus. So I'm, pr- I'm probably going to pass, uh, not because I don't want to work with you, but because I, I'm very tired. And I watched the film that night and I called him immediately, like, you know, at 10 PM, which is outside of um, (laughs) professional hours or whatever. And I was like, "Um, I'm so sorry about anything I said. I don't want to take time off. This movie is amazing. And I I, thank you for, for even, I'm so sorry that I even suggested (laughs) that I might not want to work on it. I'm crazy. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, my reaction was that it was the craziest and most prolific film I'd seen in a long time. Uh, and I really was honored to be approached to be a part of it. Amazing. I can only, just even the concept of it is just so bizarre. It's, it's very disjointed and jarring by nature. It's meant to be. Um, so I'm just curious, how did that affect your approach to everything to do with the sound design for this film there's so much going on so many different layers so in this film I normally mix on coda I mixed both sides dialogue and dialogue music affects backgrounds fully the whole shebang um on this film I only mixed effects and my my normal I'm these days I'm mostly mixing dialogue and music but um so I was working with Brent Kaiser who worked on the music and dialogue mix and I did the sound effects mix. So I was very close with the sound designer, Andrew Twight, who he had been on the film for several months because they worked on this uh, a little bit differently than usual because of the pandemic. They were working during the pandemic and um, everybody is, everybody working on the film lives in, a small area of Los Angeles, a neighborhood. And so it was really great because everybody could get together still in, in work together. So um, Andrew Twight was, he did a lot of the initial design work and they worked it into their edit as they were still editing. And also uh, the Daniels themselves are, are very into sound design. So they, they did a lot of stuff that on their own mm. that we sort of um, sweetened and, and uh, added and um, there, as you know, there's so many things going on simultaneously. So if the focus was originally, you know, the bagel, then of course there has to be the the design of, of everything else and like the visors flip and, you know, all of the little 
the little elements around it were cut. Um, and so during the mix, we, you know, they already had a, a pretty solid vision for what they want, what the Daniels, what they wanted sound design wise. Um, and we were working in Atmos. So it was a great experience to sort of like expand everything. And we had a lot of, you know, sonic space to make sure that the focus moved in the right direction because, because there was so much going on, we didn't want to, you know, focus on everything at the same time. So uh, we had to really pick and choose moments, pick and choose, um, you know, what things we wanted to highlight. And also the Daniels, in terms of the fight sequences, they gave us references for each fight sequence. Um, Like if you notice when you watch the film, some of them are very uh, heavy impacts with lots of, you know, actual fight sounds, punches and so forth. Mm -hmm. And some of them are really sort of dreamscape, like they're more whooshes and more booms and and not really a lot of realistic sound for fighting. Uh, And that was very much intentional. And I think that when, when we watch the film, um, it sort of paces up that way. It gets more and more intense with everything um, and sound included. Yeah, and Atmos is absolutely perfect for this film, or should I say the other way around. The film is perfect for Atmos, isn't it? It's just completely <laughs> diabolically immersive, the whole thing. Um, so, um, yeah, what was one of your favourite scenes to work on in everything, ever, all at once? I know there must be many, but particularly when it comes to the sound design work that you were doing on it, is there any scene that you think came up particularly well or one that was particularly challenging and you just thought, I don't even know where to start with this? There must have been a few unique examples, I can imagine, with this film. Yes, I have, like you said, I have many favourites and it's (laughs) it's hard to narrow down, but I think one of the moments that is sort of a a simple moment, which is still very impactful to me when I'm watching the film is um, the moment when Evelyn is realizing her love for Wayman and um, they're in the, they're in the laundromat. It's closer to the end. And uh, she looks at him and there's this, this glowing red, light between them that's um, flickering on her face. And with that, there's some sound design and there's also music Uh, in the sound design. I I didn't want to get in the way of music because the the music was so beautiful as well. And, um, and what Andrew cut there was, was really nice. And so it was a little bit uh, challenging to find that balance where you really feel her heart glowing and you feel her heart, just expanding mm-hmm. with love. And I think that that, um, you know, I, I sort of mixed it in a way where it got introduced really subtly and then sort of overwhelmed the space, but still without um, competing with the music. I think that that was one of my favorite moments because it's really effective. It's kind of like a felt, a felt thing and it's not really heard. Mm, absolutely. That was a really lovely scene. And what about... The times when, I don't even know what you call it, they're jumping between different, sometimes rooms, sometimes universes within seconds. Um, How did that affect the approach you would go for for these types of scenes? 
So that was really fun. That's a really fun part because we're really ripping, ripping our characters from one place to the next, you know, very quickly. So um, that was a perfect opportunity to use Atmos and to um, there's sort of like these other sounds that were designed to, to call them into a different uh, reality. So you'd, you'd have like first the little radio clicks or something that was coming through a little futzed. And then all of a sudden we could expand all of the sound design to sort of like envelop, open up and close really quickly uh, in the mix. So that you really felt like you went very quickly somewhere else. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of usage of, you know, obviously like the whichever direction they were going with the panning and um, and and we had a lot of fun things to play with because there were so many sounds designed um, for all the different places. So we could really, uh, you know, weave in and out some of those recognizable things from the alternate universe. Mm. Um, what about, because you're working so closely on a film, um, by the time you see the final product, is that quite strange for you because you've been really up close and personal with it? really in the details does that almost um not spoil your experience of it but do you view it in a different way do you think that most people would uh I've had the opportunity I'm so happy to watch this film several times in different theaters uh and so now I really can say I'm I'm watching it as a viewer of of um with anything recorded I think with any album that you mix or or film or tv show that you mix um, of course, there are things that you could tweak forever. And so um, in this case, I'm just watching the film now. I'm not thinking about those things. Um, and I think that, of course, in in a normal, I mean, that's what makes this film so powerful is that everything is really glued together really perfectly. I think that everybody who came together to work on this film really cared about the film and really cared about the message of this film and everyone from, you know, I've, I've since met a lot of people like costume department and um, I've, I've met other like the stunt people. I've met a lot of people at these different events that it's just um, really amazing to, to meet all of these people who have the same like heart space for the film. So, um, so I do watch it as, as a fully, mm. you know, glued together piece of, you know, film and um the experience is I'm still crying I'm like I've seen the film like I can't tell you how many times frame by frame in multiple theaters and I cry every time still it's it's so powerful isn't it but it's also funny it's all kinds of things the mind boggles when I've been trying to think about how someone or some people put this together where did this idea come from how did they even get it down on I don't know paper or wherever things go these days oh just it's just amazing maybe I shouldn't think too much or my head will explode you know about how it came together and just be glad that it did because it's just (laughs) incredible isn't it 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 really is I was it was hard to you know I work with directors often very directly and these uh directors the Daniels they are they're so um I'm such a fan of theirs and it's so interesting because I just, I really think they're genius. And even the things we were doing with sound sometimes, you know, usually I'm, I'm presenting um, ideas and, and things uh, ideas that will 
that will build to like a bigger soundscape. Like, you know, the things that we're doing in the front of the film will have more impact if it's, you know, quieter than something at the end of the film. But the way that they had such a clear vision of, um, of how the film, you know, is how the film is, is supposed to feel throughout every minute that, you know, all those small, tiny details we were working on on the stage. Um, it was even surprising to me when I watched it back for the first time as a long play, like, oh, here's what we're doing with this. We are, you know, I, I see their vision come together. They, they think in the, in the details and then the, the giant picture is very clear. Yeah. And what about um, when you watched it back, um, you know, complete with all the sound design done? Do you have any particular scenes that you're favorite? Maybe not even necessarily for the sound design um, perspective, but just in general. Oof, that's another hard question. Um, I really love the hallway scene mm-hmm. um, with the Elvis suit, you might remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, when Joy shows up with the baby piglet. Um, I think that that's a really great scene because it's really fun. It's also, you know, a dildo fight, which is a new (laughs) and was a new endeavor. Um, So, yeah, it was there was everything packed into one. It was really fun sound wise. There's all kinds of stuff to play with and and uh, the hallway sound. So that's probably a favorite. But um, in terms of scenes, I think the rock scene is actually one of my favorites now. Okay. I really uh, love the the ending scene, of course, when uh, Evelyn is confronting everybody with love and healing them mm-hmm. and ultimately, um, you know, saving Joy. Uh, the scene in in the parking lot of the uh, the scene in the parking lot of the um of the laundry mat when mm-hmm. Evelyn's talking to Joy. Yeah. Uh, at, I'm trying to trying to distinguish because there was a couple of those. Um, the one towards the end where she's basically offering acceptance to mm-hmm. her. Yes. Uh, that scene gets me every time. I could cry just thinking about it. <laughs> it's it really did. I think people almost didn't, and maybe very much did not expect um, this film to be about what it is, and it's also about so many things. But that key mother-daughter relationship and then also the relationship she has with her own parents as well is tied in there quite closely and I think that just really hits home to people doesn't it it does yeah it that's what I I mean that's one of the beautiful things I felt about working on this film is that um, on so many projects of course you get you know feedback and people will share things um, about like you know what they did relate to what they liked about the film and especially sound design in this film a lot of people who saw it, friends were sharing their personal stories with me and how it repaired a relationship with their parents or it had, you know, an effect on them that was bigger than the experience of just watching a film. And that's why I feel so special to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think that's a common theme because I needed to refresh my memory of it. So I watched the trailer before I talked to you just to remind myself and all the comments underneath are really interesting. A lot of them are saying things like that. Like, you know, I watched this with my dad. We both started crying and all just said, suddenly said, you know, do you know how much you mean to me? You know, just sort of out of nowhere. So I think it's just quite a nice surprising thing that came out of this amazing film that everyone needs to see, of course. And I need to see it again because <laughs> I've probably missed 
all sorts just from being completely dumbfounded <laughs> from it but it, what a, a ride what a ride I mean it's amazing yes. um so let's get on to the studio kind of side of things so do you have your own studio and is that where you're working from are you working in um you know professional sound studios um so I I've just moved but I so I dismantled my home studio but I did have a home studio which I will it's in pieces now and I will put them back together okay. um I usually have a home mix and edit suite that I use to do sound design when I'm doing sound design and also pre-dubs for films. Oftentimes I'll do at home. Um, But the majority of finishing work that I do is at a studio. I, uh, a lot of us are sort of, um, a lot of us have a different situation. Some of us work primarily at one studio. Some of us bounce around a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But my situation is that I, my home base is at a independent studio called Signature Post in Burbank. And uh, they've recently opened a location in Santa Monica as well. And they are, um, the the stages are beautiful. I've now mixed uh, two films since Everything Everywhere and Everything Everywhere was um, mixed there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's normally how my workflow goes is I'll do any preparation work, any pre-dubs at home and then finish the mix there on, on some of the films that have um, the budget to do. So I'll do the pre-dubs on the stage uh, there because that's, that would, that's more ideal to mix from start to finish in the environment that we will be finishing in. Um, and I've been doing that on, on these last couple of films and I will be doing that going forward um, Brent, who brought me on to everything everywhere all at once, he has his own studio. He actually owns his own studio that has, um, two small dub rooms and his sound designer works remotely usually, and then we'll come in for pre-dubs. Um, so I, I actually, the only reason I'm mentioning that is cause I, I, I like that there's both, you know, I like that there's, um, these larger stages to go to. And I also like that, that people are doing it sort of independently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A bit of both in there. And, um, I know you're a focus right user as well. So I'd love to know, um, what you're using. Yes, I use actually a lot of focus right product, but I have, I I use my Scarlet for zoom meetings such as these Uh (laughs) in my home studio. I use, uh, the four pretty, from focus right and um i use it as my main interface and uh, i have a preamp that's attached to it but sometimes i'll use the onboard preamps as well um but the reason why i really like it is because it's so flexible and uh and i can use the dante routing so that i can connect um you know anything i want depending on what what kind of day i'm having i've even uh, done some, some music recording projects where I'll set people, musicians up in other places in the house and be able to, uh, to connect, um, through the routing matrix. Uh, and it's, it's really helpful. Okay. And how long have you been using the, um, the full pre? Uh, I think I purchased it in like 2016, I want to say maybe 2017 no I think it's 2016 and of course we use them you know if you go into the machine rooms at the studios that I work at as well they're they're up in those racks um we use them pretty heavily at the studio as well 
um, at Signature that I just mentioned, we use uh, them for their interfaces and also headphone boxes. And for um, when we record ADR, uh, that we'll plug the actors into the headphone, you know, playback system. And again, it's really, really great and easy to use the routing. So you can just set somebody up with a headphone mix real quick. Okay, well, that's good to know. It works quickly and easy. You just need something that's going to do the job and the audio goes without saying. It has to be pristine, right? It has to be pristine, especially with clients and uh, sometimes actors waiting. Uh, it has to go smoothly. You have to <laughs> be able to switch things around on the fly. Yeah. And uh, focus right makes that really easy. Okay, that's awesome. And um, is there anything new that you're allowed to talk about, of course, that you've got coming up or anything exciting film-wise in the works? Um, I don't want to get you in trouble with, uh, I don't know, Netflix or whoever it may be, so don't share if you're not allowed. (laughs) Uh, Well, I did work on a film that already did a sneak peek preview at TIFF, so I think I can mention that one. It was a film called Chevalier, Mm -hmm. and it is due to release um, next year, I think in April. I'm not sure about that. I'd have to check but that film uh, was also a pleasure to mix. It's about a composer, a historical figure that has been uh, largely erased, sadly. And it was an honor to help bring his story to to light. And it, it's, you know, it's very music uh, heavy because it is about a composer. So there's a lot of there's a lot of great spaces as well because it's a uh, it's a period piece and there's all these giant um opera houses and and spaces that we were allowed to use such rich and beautiful reverbs <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah. okay then I think that is a lovely note to end on it's good to know you've got so many exciting things in the works including you know your break to Ecuador not just work so you know there's a balance <laughs> we've got a strike right um <laughs> yep. Yep. So thank you so much for taking time I have absolutely loved talking to you about your work and in particular these two films um so I look forward to seeing what you do next and hopefully I'll talk to you again someday about um you know your work on some future stuff I'd love it thank you so much it's been a pleasure talking to you too and to you well have a wonderful day and enjoy Ecuador thank you so much (laughs) Headliner Radio supporting the creative community